0: Today, we're in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 7, if you want to go to verse 24, that's where we're going to be. Um, Really quick, I want to just review what we learned last week in case you missed it, because I want to kind of build up into what is going on in the situation. So um, go to the next slide. This is just a quick review, okay? Jesus starts out the Sermon on the Mount talking about ways for people to be blessed, and then he goes through some hard sayings like, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, if you check somebody out lustfully, you've committed adultery. What? That's crazy. If you think it's bad to murder somebody if you think hateful bitter thoughts toward them guess what you've killed them in your heart so everyone's freaking out about this and then Jesus just goes on about all these different aspects of following him and in the last section we read Jesus talked about salvation and he said some very interesting things he talked about a narrow gate he said there's a narrow road you've got to take that there's a narrow gate you've got to go through it then he says be a fruit tree Then he says, Some people are dead branches and they're going to be cut off and thrown in the fire. And that can be scary to hear. And then he says, There's going to be some people who show up at the heavenly gates and they're going to be like, Hey, Jesus, remember us? We did all that great stuff for you. And Jesus is going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. And just going through it really quick, what's the narrow gate? It's the path to follow Jesus, it's making a decision. I'm going to actually follow Jesus with my life. Not just say I believe in him, but I'm actually going to take some steps to walk where he's walking. Um, It's narrow because it's only following Jesus. There's no other gods, no other truth, no other way. Um, And we believe that saying yes to Jesus means we're saying no to sin, Um, but it's total dependence on God. There's a difference between in your heart saying, I'm going to say no to sin and actually being perfect. You can say, I'm going to say no to sin, but you're still going to fall. You're still going to make a mistake. And the difference is the dependence is completely on God. As you're trying to be like him, as you're trying to walk with him, when you fall down, you get back up with Jesus. So it's total dependence on God, no dependence on self. That's probably one of the biggest problems we have in the world is people want to figure out life on their own. They don't want to depend on anybody. Following Jesus, taking that narrow gate is saying no to you thinking you can do it on your own. And yes to Jesus has to do everything. Um, And it's actually doing what Jesus says. And that's actually the subject of what we're talking about in the end of chapter seven. He talks about the fruit trees. The fruit trees are those who make fruit. And well, yeah, duh. But what a Christian is, a believer in Christ, that's a fruit tree. Here's what he means. If you're a Christian, you're going to be bearing fruit. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to be bearing fruit. A fruit tree is going to make fruit. Uh, he says, like, if you look at it like a weird little thorn bush, like a bramble bush, it'd be weird if a banana grew off of that because it's not a fruit tree. But if you're a believer, you are a fruit tree. And, and a true faith actually produces actions. If you believe in Jesus, you're actually going to do things for him. It's the difference between it. It's not like to be saved, you have to make sure you're constantly doing things for Jesus. That's actually you trying to save yourself by your good works. I, the simplest way I can explain it is my wife loves me, and she makes dinner for me, and she cleans the house for me, and she just does awesome stuff all the time, but it's not because she's like, oh my gosh, like Aaron's got this list of stuff I gotta do. If I don't do it, he's gonna be mad at me, and he's not gonna love me anymore. She just She knows I love her, and she, I know that she loves me, and so she do. She she does. She does things for me because she loves me. If we truly love Jesus, we are going to do things for Him, not because we're trying to like be like, oh, I've got to make sure I'm saved. We're doing things as this natural outflow of our heart. Um, just like it's very natural for a fruit tree to grow fruit, it'd be very unnatural if it was growing like machetes or something. You'd be like, what the heck? That's the weirdest tree I've ever seen. It's got machetes growing out of it. It's a fruit tree. It's going to make fruit. Um, We're not saved by our fruit, the works. The fruit is the natural result of our faith. You're not a fruit tree, or or you are not a fruit tree before you believe. Because some people think, like, well, there's people who aren't Christians and they're doing good works, so aren't they fruit trees? The Bible actually tells us that nothing can be good apart from Christ. There's nothing, like, I don't care how many charities you donate your money to, I don't care how many old ladies you help cross the street, I don't care, like, what whatever you're doing that you think is good, I mean, because consider this, like, <laughs> the Bible actually says, you know, Paul tells us that Christians, believers, if we look at our good works, and we're just like, look at all these good little Christian things I'm doing, God's saying, like, apart from me, that's just a pile of filthy rags. You think that's great, but without me, that's nothing. The source of our goodness is not actually in what we do. The source of our goodness is in Christ. It's in Jesus. So we can't do anything good without him. But the awesome thing is if you have Christ, what you do for him is going to be very, very good. Not because you're good, but because he is good through you. Um, And the last thing we talked about is like, so what if I'm a fruit tree, but I don't have very many fruits, you know? Like we're talking about like a backslidden Christian. Somebody who basically is a believer but maybe like they're not really producing a ton of fruit because that's where the verse got scary last week it was saying like there's these branches and if they're not producing fruit they're gonna get chopped off and thrown in the fire what's that all about that's really scary does that mean that if I'm not constantly constantly just like oh I've got to top myself I've got to make sure that like uh next week uh did I lift my hands during worship okay now I've got to stand on top of my chair um oh, did I go on the outreach no I didn't okay next week there's two outreaches I better go to those or else I'm not producing fruit like it can be scary. It can be freaky. We can, we can think like, oh, no, I'm going to get chopped off and thrown into hell. What he was talking about <clears throat> when he talked about those dead branches, he wasn't talking about Christians who are kind of in a backslidden state or slowly producing fruit. What I believe is he's just talking about those who aren't fruit trees. He's talking about people who don't have Christ, and therefore nothing they produce is fruit or good. They've, those who never truly believe, those are the dead branches who aren't going to heaven because they don't have Christ. Condemnation is a result of non-belief. It's just, weird. We're, if, if you're here and you're not saved, it's only because you don't have faith in Christ. It's only because of that. And I encourage you, if you're sitting here thinking, oh man, to get saved, I've gotta climb a tall mountain and like meditate and like read the Bible for 20 days, and then I've gotta like just come back home and volunteer for every soup kitchen, and then I can be saved. God says, no, the only reason you're not saved is because you haven't put your dependence in Christ. Do that first, and then let the good works come forth from your love. Um so yeah, a thorn bush cannot produce fruit because it's not a fruit tree. If you're a thorn bush and you want to be a fruit tree, just ask Jesus to make you one. Simple as that. If you put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to fear this verse, which is awesome. Then there's a verse about people who will come and say, Jesus, we did all this stuff. And Jesus is gonna be like, I never knew you. That also can freak us out because we're sitting here and we're like, uh, I'm going to church. Uh, I went to the homeless outreach last month. Um, am I saved? Uh, I really want to be saved. Is, am I going to show up and is Jesus going to say, uh, sorry, buddy, I don't know you. Here's what that verse was talking about. It's talking about false prophets and church people who were, one, either deceiving people or, two, just along for the ride. I was talking with Jason Duff about this, and Jason was like, I know people In my church back in Texas, this is what Jason's saying. He's like, I know people back in my church in Texas who showed up to church every Sunday. But then I would ask them, so do you believe in Jesus? And they'd be like, no, I'm just here because this is family tradition. Like this is, like he said, they would straight up tell him, like, this is just what my family does. We go to church, we hear something that makes us feel positive about ourselves, and then we walk away. Those people aren't going to heaven because there's no dependence in Christ. That is the only thing that saves us. You can be the greatest church person ever, but the homeless guy who doesn't go to church anywhere, who's living in a van down by the river, but has faith in Christ is way up on the guest list than you. You're not even on that guest list. That guy is like front of the line. Why? Because he puts his faith in Christ. Simple as that. So anyway, uh, Christian, you can go back to the first slide. So today we're talking about our identity found only in Christ. Let's get into what the text says. Matthew chapter 7. All right. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blow and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool, a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." When he had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just, he gives just this big old message, we've... we've he did this all in one day. We broke down his message into weeks and weeks and weeks. Just think about it. All this Jesus, all this knowledge, all this goodness, he's just blasting people with it. Just like, he's just like, take all of this amazing information and do something with it. And everyone's just sitting there, and they're amazed. They're like, this guy teaches like, not like our teachers at school. When our teachers at school teach, it's like, Ugh, we have to learn this. We have to learn this math because apparently we'll need it in our life. You don't. You, don't, you never will use that stuff. I never did. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you guys might be architects or like something, computer scientists, nerds. Some of you guys might grow up to be amazing, just nerdy, smart people who one day will, will, the rest of us, people like me, will be working for you guys because you're so brilliant. You're the people who are paying attention in math class. Raise your hand if you like math so I can see how many people I've offended. Two people. Awesome. Wait, okay, more nerds you guys. Okay, Kobe, math, really? It's awesome. That's awesome. Dude, he's like, his hand's still up. He's like, math, represent. <laughs> what? You hate math. Okay, but, but you know you need it. I never did. Anyway, Jesus teaches in a way that like blows people's minds. We're like, this is actually something I want to listen to. And so he goes through this whole big message, and then he ends it with a story. And Jesus was such a good storyteller. And he tells a story. Basically, he's like, listen, so there was, a, there was two guys. There's this one guy who builds his house down on the beach because he's thinking this is going to be amazing. This is going to be party central. And he puts all this work into his house. He goes out and buys supplies and wood, and he sets up this house, and he builds it just like not even like like down the line from the beach where he can see the water, like, literally, he's on the sand, and he's thinking, this is amazing, because, like, all the cool party beach people are going to be right outside my door, and I'll blast some music, and I'll have some drinks, and I'll just, it'll be ready, and I'll open the door and be like, beach people, come congregate at my sweet beach mansion, and everybody would run to this place, because think about it, if you're a party person on the beach, and there's a beach party house right on the beach, that's Amazing. So he sets it down. And he's like, This is sweet. I am the greatest party beach guy of all time. And everyone thinks he's great. Then there's another guy who's like, I would love to build my house on the beach, but it's not really sensible. You know, there's got to be a foundation, there's got to be something underneath the house. You know, to jump into a, a personal story, when I moved in to my new house, we call it The House. That's just the name for our house, because that's where we meet. And it's our house, but it's also your house every Wednesday. And you can come over anytime, and we'll be like, hey, how's it going? We love you. Have a cake. We just, we keep cakes all the time around, just in case. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be weird. It's like we actually, if you open up our fridge, there's like piles and piles of cakes, stockpiled just for you guys. No, that'd, that'd be weird. Anyway. Our house, when we first moved in, we, we thought it was amazing, because most of you guys have seen it, you know? You walk in, and it's like wood floor and wood ceiling. Like, what on earth? We saw that, we're like, this is crazy. It, there, there was this like, lady who showed up to our church and was just like, hey, come check out my house. We were like, that's weird. Is this like a Craigslist thing? Are we gonna get killed when we show up? Like, have you guys heard about that? Like Craigslist murders? It's really, don't, don't do it, okay? One of, one of you guys was talking about like Uber drivers, like one of the high school boys, like the freshman was like, I wanna get an Uber driver. It's like, please don't, like don't get murdered. I like you, it'd be awesome if you didn't get murdered. Anyway, we showed up to the house and it's like wood floor, wood ceiling, just super nice, super cozy, this tiny little house with this great backyard. And we're like, this is awesome. But we were thinking, there's no way. this this has got to be too expensive. And she's like, no, it's only $200 more than your current rent at your lousy apartment. We were like, yes. So we move into this house and we're like, this is the greatest thing. This is such an adorable little house. Literally, like right when we moved in, like the whole place started falling apart. The the water system started going crazy. And all of a sudden, like we're just sitting in our living room, like just chilling, just having a good time. And we're like, what is going on? Like something smells terrible. And we go inside the bathroom and basically like all of like the like garbage disposal sewer stuff had like somehow the pipes had gone crazy. And now our bathtub has become a a running river of death. It's. It was just the worst thing. We were like, what is going on? And we go over to the sink in the kitchen. The sink is freaking freaking out. And we go into the bathroom and that sink is freaking out. We're like, oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden the toilet just starts like overflowing with water. And now there's water like flowing into the bedroom and into the office. And we we're. my wife was just like, we've made a terrible mistake. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And we like, were like, we've got to go live at my parents' house for a couple of days like, while we get this figured out. The point is, like the house was great, but what was underneath the house wasn't great. And it caused a lot of destruction and horrible things. That's the point of the story. So you've got this guy and he realizes like, you just literally put your house on the sand? No, you've got to have like a solid foundation underneath your house. So he builds his house a little bit higher. He goes up on a hill where he can still see the beach and enjoy it, but he puts down a foundation. He puts down a solid rock and it starts with that solid rock and then he builds up from that. And here's the deal. The house that's on the sand the winds and the waves and a storm comes. And we're thinking like not just like, you know, like a normal, like even for California, like we don't really get big storms. Like think of like this crazy storm with like the wind just whooshing back and forth and, and the lightning flashing and the like hail coming down. And have you guys ever seen hail? Yeah? Like, like size of baseballs just like bashing these houses, just coming down. And the house that's on the sand falls apart, completely crumbles. But the house that's on the rock is just like... All right, I'll just close the windows. It's a storm, but my house isn't gonna fall apart. The sands underneath shifted in the storm and the water washing in. That guy was dumb to build his house on the sand. But that's pretty much what a lot of us do. If our foundation, and by foundation, I mean our identity. If our identity does not begin and end with Jesus Christ, then our foundation is just sand. It's just nothingness, who we are has to begin and end with Jesus Christ. And it's a great story, and it's a simple story. And I was trying to think, like, what more can be said about this? This simple, simple story. Jesus told another story that I want to share with you. And I'm just going to go through it quick. But it's a story that I think there's so much to learn for. And, it, and I, was, I had never thought of these two stories connecting before, but I really think they do. We're going to look at a man In the Bible, Jesus tells a story, a parable, of this guy who basically had the best of both worlds. He had a life with his foundation built on self, and he had a life of a foundation built on Christ. And we can see how things went for him both ways. So here's the story. I'm I'm not going to read any verses. I'm just going to tell you the story kind of just the way Jesus would. Um, And I'm just going to use our modern language. But it's a total biblical story. I'm embellishing a few things, but it's absolutely biblical. So, what's that? No, not Job. That's very, like, that's, that's one that would have been very easy to go to. Whenever you think of someone's life getting ruined, Job is, like, number one. I, I actually, I was counseling a guy, and uh, his life was, like, falling apart. And I, I don't, I didn't plan anything. Like, I just was talking to him and, like, telling him about Jesus. And at the end of it, he's like, can I just tell you something? He's like, Thank you so much for not just going straight to Job. (laughs) Like, thanks for not just being like, hey, man, it's going to be okay. It worked out for Job. It'll work out for you. So, I don't know. I guess people who are depressed have heard Job a lot. So, maybe think before jumping to that one. Anyway. Here's a story. There's a man, okay, and he's out and he's doing work and the work is ridiculous. How many of you guys have ever done work and you feel like it's ridiculous? Your parents make you do something, yard work. Has anyone ever felt like yard work is ridiculous and you're like, why are we doing this? No one ever even comes to our house. If you didn't plant these stupid bushes here, I wouldn't have to be, like, no one ever looks at these, mom. You should get a PlayStation, mom, and just stop worrying about this stuff. There's a man and he's out doing work on a farm. Anyone here work on a farm? Anybody ever? Does your family live on a farm? No? I know one high school kid who lives on a farm. He's awesome. Anyway, okay. He's out on the farm, and he's just raking. He's just scraping dirt, and he probably doesn't even know what he's doing. He's, you know, like when you're a kid and your parents tell you to do something, and you're just like half-heartedly just like, he's probably just like throwing seed like anywhere, just like, whatever, dad. I hate your farm. Your farm stinks. But he's, okay, he, like, let's, let's put this guy, let's say he's probably about 16 years old, he feels like his life is, like, fading, it's, like, going away, like, there is nothing for him, he's been on this farm every single day of his life, it's like Luke Skywalker, you know, when he was on the Tatooine space farm, and he wants to go fly in the space academy, This guy just wants to live his life. And here's another thing. This isn't in the Bible, but I'm just going to read between the lines. I think this guy had a serious problem because I think probably the only women on the farm were probably like mom, grandma, and like great aunt Gertrude, okay? And so this dude, he's like, I have not seen a lady in forever except great aunt Gertrude. And I don't want to see great aunt Gertrude anymore because she pinches my cheeks and it's the worst. So he's like, you know, typical teenager, my life is fading. It's over. It's not going anywhere. Everything I do is pointless. Everything I do is worthless. Maybe some of you guys can relate. Maybe that's how you feel. So he feels like his life is terrible. So he goes to his dad. Now his dad's rich, owns a farm. He's got a lot of livestock, a lot of land, a lot of stuff going on. And this guy, he knows something. The young man, he knows something. He knows when his dad dies, half of what his dad owns goes to him, and half of what his dad owns goes to his brother. And that contract happens when he dies. But he's thinking, I don't want to wait for dad to die. He's not that old. Like, it could be forever. And I'll be, like, super old by then. I'll be, like, 30. It's so old. Oh, my gosh. 30 would be the worst. I know some people were like, I just, I, know, I, know, I was talking to some junior high kids, and they're like, I just want to, like, I, don't want to, I, want, I want to die before I'm old. I want to die young. And I was like, so... Like, before when? They're like, I think before age 30. That would just be so old. It's like, oh, my goodness. For me, I'm 26, so the thought of dying before 30 is depressing. I want to I live to, like, maybe 94 point. No, I want to live forever. I will. Ha-ha. Joke's on you, death. Christianity. Anyway, okay. So he walks to his dad, and he's like, hey, dad, guess what? No, wait, back up. He doesn't. That, who does that? If you're going to ask your dad for money, you don't just walk up and be like, Dad, guess what's up? No, so let's, let's rewrite that part, okay? So he walks in. Let's add some drama to this. He sees his dad, and his dad's reading in his library, and he's, like, bent over. He's doing his taxes, you know, because April's coming up, and he's got to do his Jewish farm taxes. So he's doing these farm taxes, and he, the son walks in. He sees his dad, and, and, you know, at first he sees his dad, and he's like, Psh, My dad doesn't know anything. <laughs> what a punk. <laughs> I just want his money. I just want to get out of here. But then, you know, he, he remembers, like, that is my dad. And, and, you know, some of you guys know when it comes to dads, it's like mixed emotions, you know? Sometimes you look at your dad... And you remember him as like the jerk who makes you mow the lawn and who's always laying down the law and like being the, the authority figure in your life. But then there's another part of you that remembers like all those piggyback rides and like trips to the zoo and those ice cream cones. And, you know, if, if you had a good dad and, and, and so that just comes back to this guy. And he's like, oh, dad annoys me so much, but I also kind of love him. And the thought of actually like leaving him and actually like kind of going out to him and giving that sucker punch on the gut, like, hey, dad. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I instead of you dying, I, I kind of wish you were dead because then I get your money. Can I just have your money now? He realizes what he's doing, and a part of him like, wants to like, hug his dad and just come out and like, just embrace him, but then that pride comes back up, and he's like, all right, dad, you know what? And the dads are enjoying, oh, hey, son, how's it going there, sport? And he says, dad, listen, listen, listen. Okay, I've been on this farm my whole life and there's just, there's so much to know and to see and I don't know anything. Like all, the only schooling I've had is from great aunt Gertrude and she doesn't know anything. Like that's, my whole world is just great aunt Gertrude. That's all I see every day. Like she's just, she's math, she's English, she's science recess, break time, like, it's the worst. I just, I want to get out of here. I want to go see the world. And the dad's like, oh, mm, well, uh, maybe uh, I could go with you on a trip to the city and a little father-son bonding time. And the son goes, no, 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 no. Listen, that's, that's the worst idea ever, dad. That Please, dad, just stop talking. That's the worst. Here's what we need to do. You need to give me, you know, all that money that I'm supposed to get when you die, just give it to me now. And the dad's thinking like, that's, like half my estate. <laughs> like that's meant to go to my sons after I die so they can continue working the farm and being successful. It's not like a like birthday money like go spend it. It's like this is money you need to live. And the father knows if he gives half his money like then like the farm is going to lose like half of its savings. So the father's like, "Oh my gosh, like this is a crazy request." And the son's like, "No, please just listen. Give me what is mine. It's mine. It's coming to me. I just want it now." And then I want to go And I want to see the world. And I'm going to go, and I need your blessing, and I I need the money. So please give it to me. Because if you don't bless my journey, I'm going to leave anyway. If you don't give me the money, I'm just going to take off anyway. I'm just going to run away from home. So, Dad, I mean, it's either give me the money and I'll run, or I'm just going to run. And the dad kind of, you know, ponders and scratches his beard and says, Son, you know, I've always tried my best for you, but if you've got to leave... Then go with my blessing and go with the blessing of God. I love you, son. And he sits down and he writes the check and he hands it over and he says, good luck. I'm praying for you. I love you. Come back and visit. Like, here you go. Go make something of yourself. And son's like, whatever, dad. And he takes the check. So he leaves. Not too many days later, he's on the path and he meets this traveling stranger. Stranger. And this guy seems educated because, you know, our boy in the story, he's got, like, overalls and, like, a straw hat and, like, no shoes, you know, because he's a country guy. He meets this guy, and he's got, like, the faded, he's got the man bun, you know? He's got the big old hipster beard, the cool glasses, the man bun sticking out, and he's got, like, the nice leather jacket, the tightest pants this guy's ever seen, the cool leather shoes. He's got the twisty mustache. Like, this guy's got it all. He just looks like you see him, and it's like, that is a man of worldly sophistication. That that is a man that I want to know. That is a man who will teach me the secrets of life. And this guy starts talking to him and he's like, oh my gosh, man, like, have you ever had, like, cold brew, hard pressed coffee? Man, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just making stuff up. But he's like, you've got to try the coffee in the city, man. It's amazing. He's the, guy, the kid's like, what? What's coffee? And the, he's like, dude, like, what on earth? You've got to come with me. I'll show you the world. Dude, the women in the city are amazing. And uh, the the kid pulls out a picture of Great Aunt Gertrude, and he's like, are they better looking than this? And the other guy's like, you're so weird, man. Come with me. I'm going to show you the world. So they go to the city. They go to the city, and they're traveling around, and they just start going to bars and nightclubs and alleyways and just Rooftop parties and just coffee shops and it's like this guy is having the time of his life because remember all he's seen is the farm his whole life and he is loaded. He's got so much money and what happens is like many of you guys have experienced when you've got money you've got friends. Some of you guys know this even on a basic level. When you show up to school and you've got pockets full of cash, people want to be around you. They want you to buy them lunch. And, and they're like, hey, I'll be your best friend. Like, come spend time with me. Oh, because they know you've got money because they know that you have something you can give them. And also, for a lot of dudes, money and style attracts girls. You know, this guy gets the makeover. He gets the man bun. He grows out a kind of pathetic little beard, but, you know, kind of like mine. He, he grows it out. He goes for it, he's got the style, all of a sudden he's got girlfriends, and even is like, you know what, like being romantic and having girlfriends is too hard, what about prostitutes? And he just, he goes there, starts getting into drugs, starts drinking to the point of excess, getting drunk almost every night with his friends. And of course, in the Bible story, you know, we don't really see drugs or anything, but nowadays what would happen? If somebody went to the city with a ton of money and started getting involved with worldly sophisticated friends saying, let me show you everything the world has to offer. Women, drugs, just drinking your face off. Here is what the world has to offer. But then what happens is the guy's money runs out. And a lot of times what happens is when your money runs out, your friends run out. And this guy's pockets are empty, and all of a sudden his friends bail. And then, worst thing upon worst thing to happen, a famine hits the land. What that means is that the rain dries up. There's no rain. There's no, because there's no rain, now there's no vegetation for the food. Now there's no stuff for the animals to eat. So now the animals start dying off, and now there's no meat or vegetables for anybody. So now there's no food. So now what happens is the prices go up, and the supply goes down, and this guy, he's looking at the house he's built, right? Not a real house, but he's looking at the life he's built with the money his dad gave him. And before, it was looking like a mansion. But the foundation was on the sand of him having money, And him having power and him having popularity, but that's just like sand. That is so shifting and changing. Your popularity can run out in two seconds. You can say one thing. You can even these days, you can tweet something stupid, and all of a sudden, everyone hates you. This guy built his house on the shaky, sandy foundation of money. Your money can be gone in an instant. It can be stolen from you. You can overspend it. Like It can just be gone. It's a shaky foundation. And now, this guy's realizing his house that once stood so proud, his identity, his his looks, his wealth, his popularity, it's now starting to crumble. There's holes in the roof, and the rain is coming down, and it's leaking in on him. Maybe some of you guys have felt like that before. Maybe you felt like you built up an identity in something and all of a sudden it was taken away. Maybe your identity was in a relationship and maybe it was all about this person you were dating and you found your identity in that and all of a sudden things start to shift and now you've got holes in the roof and the rain is coming down and you're getting hit hard. Maybe your identity was in your popularity in a persona you created for yourself uh, the friends you had around you but now maybe they're gone. For me it was all of junior high i had these three best friends and i found identity in them and then in eighth grade the end of eighth grade they left and went to other schools and i faced high school without any real friends and my complete identity everything i was was in those three people and now they were gone and i just felt like i had holes in my roof and the rain was coming down on me back to the story The famine hits the land. Everywhere this guy looks, he sees starvation, and he can't find a job, so he can't eat. Now his skinny jeans have big holes in them and not the trendy kind, just big, awkward holes. His leather jacket is tattered. His hair has grown unkempt, and it just looks stupid, and it's not a cool haircut anymore. His beard looks like a hobo beard. This guy is not cool anymore. He looks like a deranged street person. He smells terrible he's thinking, I've never known real hunger before. My dad always fed me good. And when I had money, I was eating sushi every day. It was amazing. But at this point, I am so hungry. And what he does is he wanders onto a farm and he says to the farmer, please let me, let me work for you. And the farmer goes, I don't got any money, but if you want, you can eat what the pigs eat he's thinking that actually sounds pretty good so he's working in the farm stacking hay and then he goes out to eat and there's just imagine pigs and a trough just digging their faces in just eating this slop it's actually um, what's called carob pods which were these weird little like bean pod things they're actually called husks that's not an appetizing word hey brooklyn what do you want to get after church today for lunch let's go get some husks that just like that almost turns my stomach So he's looking at these husky carob pods, these weird little like empty just nasty pods that they gave to the pigs that basically were not nutritious. They had no nutrition going for them. It was just something to kind of put in your belly and then it just faded away and there was nothing sustaining about that. That's that's a perfect picture of us when our foundation is in Christ. And think about it, think about it. We're so just hungry for life And we dig deep into what we think will make us happy. And we think it's going to be awesome. But to anyone on the outside looking in, we're like a guy sticking his face in a pig trough, munching on some carapods Things that seem like they're kind of filling, but in the end, oh man, I thought that was going to make me happy, but it's completely empty. That is what life without Christ looks like. And for the young man, it wasn't too much time until he's dreaming of home because he's thinking the servants there are better fed than I am eating right now even the servants the people who work in my dad's farm they get three course meals my dad takes care of his people so he's thinking I've got to go home dad was right I'm out of money like this is just ah I'm so sorry and he thinks of his sin and the guilt hits him and he remembers what he's done he remembers how cruel he was to his father and he's thinking I've got to go home but what will dad say you know, is, he's, he's oh, I know, he's just gonna be like, I told you so, he's gonna rub it in, or even worse, he's gonna hate me because I ruined him financially, I took his money, now he's struggling to make ends meet because I was selfish, and I'm gonna come home, and he's gonna say, all right, you took my money, did you invest it, did you make something of it, you didn't, well, now everything's ruined. I had a friend once at Bible college named Chris, he wore a kilt, and uh, one year, um, he was in England at Bible College, and he used his phone to, like, call his girlfriend long distance, like, 24-7. And he gets home, and his dad shows him the phone bill, and it's, like, thousands and thousands of dollars. And he's like, thanks a lot, Chris. You ruined Christmas. That's what this guy is facing, coming home, and th- his dad's just like, thanks. You ruined the family life. Get out of here. I want you to be homeless. I hate you. That, that's what he's going through in his mind. That's what dad is going to say. And he just he gets up the courage and he starts heading home and he's like, oh, I don't want to see my dad. I don't want to, I just, I don't want, I don't want this. But what choice do I have? And so he's defeated, he's broken, he's full of shame, he's empty and he starts walking home and he sees his house in the distance and he's walking closer. And all of a sudden he sees somebody sitting in a chair, like stand up and like, huh <laughs> and then he sees this guy start like running towards him, like slow motion, and then like getting faster and faster. And he sees it's his dad. and He's got this intense look on his face, like, <laughs> and the guy's thinking, he's probably got a machete. <laughs> I don't know why I'm going to machetes today, but he's, he's probably thinking, this, this guy, my dad, he's running towards me to kill me because he's probably sitting here thinking of how much trouble I've caused him, and he's probably sitting on his porch with a shotgun going, you better never show your face around here, kid. And now his dad is running towards him, and he's thinking, my dad is going to murder me. <laughs> and he, he, he's, he, he keeps walking towards thinking, all right, well, I guess this is how I die. His dad is running towards him, running towards him, and then he like sticks out his hand, but not to a fist. He throws open his arms for an embrace. His dad's like... <laughs> and he just runs up and gives him this huge huge bear hug and the son's thinking like okay maybe this is how I'm gonna die like just the tightest squeeze hug ever and his dad just it's like son he's got tears streaming down his face he's like you came back I've been waiting I've been sitting out on the porch day and night just waiting for you to come home Yes, this is so awesome. And the son's like, Listen, dad, listen. Like, he's thinking, he's not even listening because he's got his little speech in his head and he's so ashamed. And he's like, Dad, listen, I blew it. I wasted all the money. I'm so sorry. Like, let me just be your servant. I'll work in the barn. I'll just spend the rest of my life settling the debt. And the dad's like, What are you talking about? There's no debt. Like, you're, I'm just glad you're home. That's all I wanted. And then he calls his servants. He's like, Servants, servants. Go get the best robe, the greatest clothing that we have. Go get the greatest ring. Get all the bling and put it on his finger. And then go get the fattest cow. That's what it's called, the fatted calf. You know that cow we've been feeding cheeseburgers to make it even a bigger cow? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. You know that cow, (laughs) the fat one, (laughs) old chubby over there? Go (laughs) grab that cow. Stab it. <laughs> Go stab that cow. And then throw it on the grill, because we are having a barbecue tonight. My son has come home. And the son is just like, what is this? Like, what kind of love is this? That is the love of Christ that he has for you. And upon that moment, the son's house, metaphorically, is Built back up. He had just ruins. The roof had caved in on the car, like we see here, wood everywhere just smashed up. His life was destroyed because of his sin, as all of our lives will be destroyed by sin without a foundation. But the Father brought him and set him upon the rock of his love and built his foundation back up instantly. And now he has an identity. In who he is, he is the father's son. That is what saves him. That is what provides for him. That is what forgives him. And just really quick, go to the next slide. I just want to share with you guys. You know, you might wonder, what is my identity? This is basically us. This is our group. Some of you guys aren't in the picture, but this is, you know, from, from camp. I love Jeremiah over here. He's great. I, we need to see more of him around here. He's a beautiful man. But here's what your identity is, okay? I'm just going to break it down for you so you understand. This is for every single one of you. I want you to walk away from here understanding your identity. One is you're a student. And I don't mean you go to high school. I mean you're a student of Jesus, and you need to understand that. Jesus, with the 12 disciples, he was their teacher in the same way Jesus wants to be our teacher. And not, like, think of it this way. Not your geometry teacher where you, like, hate everything they're saying and you just want to get out of that class. Jesus, like, think of whatever your favorite thing is. Baseball, basketball, graphic design, videography, uh, Minecraft, you know, whatever it is. That's like your ultimate favorite thing. Imagine that the leading expert in that field, in whatever you're interested in, the leading professional expert, some of you guys are musical, like your favorite musician was like, hey, I wanna spend a couple months with you teaching you everything I know about what you love. You'd be like, yes, yes, I'm clearing my schedule, I'm dropping out of school, like, let me be your student. That's the kind of relationship Jesus wants with you. He wants to say, listen, I wrote this book. You may have heard of it. It's pretty amazing. It's called the Bible. Uh, I can get you a signed copy if you're not, just kidding. (laughs) It's like, wouldn't that be amazing? We're like, please, God, and like, all of a sudden, like, this, like, uh, that that story in Daniel, like, that finger, like, (laughs) comes out of the sky and starts signing your Bible. It's like, Yahweh, You're Like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anyway, God wants that kind of relationship with you where he's like, I want to teach you. The Bible is not a boring history book. It's not just some old story. And it's not a book that you read to get brownie points with God. Oh, man, I sinned a lot this week. Better read the Bible to fill up my spirituality tank. It's like God is like, listen, I want to teach you how to live. The Bible is basically how to live life how to have life to the fullest, how to have life abundantly. Jesus wants to teach you about love. He wants to teach you about forgiveness. He wants to teach you about mission and purpose and identity. And all of those things are found in the pages of Scripture. And Jesus, beyond even the Bible, wants to speak to your holy heart. He wants to reach into your heart and Touch it and speak to you. And all you have to do is open up your ears to listen. That's what Jesus says. He who has ears to hear, let them listen. Maybe even right now, you're like, whatever, Aaron, this is a great story. I've heard it before. I'm a church kid. Open up your ears to the potential possibility that maybe God wants to speak to you right now. Just crack, the door of open, or just crack the door of your heart open just a smidge and say, God, if you want to speak to me, let me in. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter if you sin this morning on the way to church. God wants to touch you and reach you and be with you right now. Here's the next part of your identity. You're a disciple. A disciple is a follower. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, go forth and make Christians. Go make sure people go to church twice a week and sometimes home fellowships, and that'll just make the world great. What Jesus said was, go and make followers. Go and make disciples. Are you a follower of Jesus, or are you just a fan? Are you just somebody here who's like, listen, yeah, I like Jesus, he had good things to say. Or are you people who go, what Jesus said is what I do. And if I don't understand it, I'm gonna read it and pray about it until I understand exactly what Jesus wants me to do. Guys, we're missing out if we're not followers. We're just living this washed up, namby-pamby, no good, worthless life. Honestly, that's what it is. It's a wasted life. It's a saved soul and a wasted life. And that's my biggest thing as a youth pastor is I want to challenge you to follow Jesus. I'm not saying you have to grow up and do what I do. And I hope most of you don't. I hope you go out and you do whatever it is God has called you to do, whether you work in a church or whether you work in a Starbucks or whether you work in a big company or whether you fix cars in some random town in Texas or whether you go to Portland and hang out with all the people over there, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, if you do it with your whole heart and you do it as a follower, your life is going to be changed forever. Here's the next thing. You're a servant. You're a servant. And that's, that's an amazing thing to understand that we are servants of God, that we're called to actually serve him. Not servants as in whipping boys, like people God like keeps around to like boss around and be like, hey, do whatever I say. Like servants as in we understand we serve the most powerful, amazing, wonderful king in the universe. If I'm a guy living in a village and the king asks me to go serve him in his castle, I don't care if he wants me to hold the door open for him. I'm going to go do it because he's the king and he's amazing. But then looping around here, <laughs> let's we'll go diagonal. Psh, sons and daughters. Because that's, that's amazing. We're, we're all these things. This is our identity. We're all these things wrapped into one. We're servants, but we're also sons and daughters. And think of the difference. You're not just a servant you're the son and daughter. Think of the difference. If there's a home, and this is like a, you know, classy, rich home where they have servants. If you've got the servant, here's the difference. The, the servant comes in the room, and he hands the guy the food, and he hands the guy the mail, you know, and he's like, here you go, sir, and he walks away. He's the servant. That's what he does. What does a son and daughter do? They come running down the stairs. They run up to their dad. They hug them. They look at the mail, and they go, oh, is any of that for me? They they look at the food, and they eat it. That's the amazing thing. We're servants, but we're also sons and daughters. All of the things that God gives us, he says, here's my love. Here's my generosity. Here's my goodness. Here's my forgiveness. Now, go serve other people with this. He says, take for yourself as much as you want. It's like getting to work in the ice cream store and your dad's the ice cream man, but he says, hey, I want you to scoop up the ice cream for people, but you can actually just eat as much as you want of it for free. That's awesome. That's our relationship with God. We're sons and daughters. We're beloved. We're not just kids who God resents and he wants to boss around. We're dearly loved. You need to know today, you are dearly loved by God. He loved you. Some of you might ask, you know, I've, or some of you might think, I feel like I'm not enough. You know, I feel like I'll never be enough. I'll never be holy enough. I'll never be spiritual enough. You are enough for Him to die on the cross. If you were the only person left on the entire planet, He still would have done it. That's how enough you are. You're beloved. You're dear. You're treasured to Him. That needs to be a crucial part of your identity. When you're doing well and when you're stumbling and backsliding, you need to remember that you're loved and his love for you is not based on anything that he does or anything that you do. It's everything about what he does and who he is. And finally, friends. And that the awesome thing is Jesus said to his disciples, he says, guys, I call you servants, but actually I no longer am gonna call you servants. I call you friends. Yes, there's an understanding that you serve me, but I want you to know you're my dear, dear friends. God loves you so much that he wants a dear friendship with you. So, that's what your identity needs to be. That's the rock in the story. It's Jesus. It's our relationship with him. It's who he is. So, I'm going to pray, and here's what we're going to do. Let's just make this really, really simple. There's three rows, or three sections. We're going to pray. Once we're done, just spend like four or five or six minutes talking in your section. So you guys, you guys, and you guys. Everyone just turn around and look at each other for just a few minutes and just talk about what, what this means. And then if you're a counselor in that group, you can pray everybody out in that group and end the time. So, Lord, let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. You're awesome. You're amazing. Thank you, God. For this message in the Bible, for this story of the man who built his foundation on you and for that prodigal son, Lord, who left a foundation of you, went out on the shaky sand foundation and came back realizing how much he had missed. Help us, God, to realize how much we're missing without you. Help us to make the very foundation of everything we are on you and who you are and what you've done for us. Help us to remember our identity today, even as we leave it up on the screen for us to ponder a little bit more. Help us to remember what our identity is. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.